Good morning, everyone. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here, and I hope you've had a great weekend so far. My family has. We were up north together. We went skiing and snowboarding, and we went out uh, snowshoeing together. Had a great time, except for like Thursday night, the ride up. It was kind of dicey, and my wife and I have different opinions about how fast I should be driving on that time. So mine's like 70, hers is like 20, so we compromise and... I drove like 65 instead on the way up, somewhere in the middle there. And uh, yeah, we, we actually, we had a great time together. And if you're new to Fairhaven, just want to welcome you and let you know that we are a church where you can belong before you believe even. And we want to be the kind of people where you have a chance to ask questions and wonder. And we try to keep it real. And today we're going to step into a section of scripture that is really Kind of dicey, and it's Genesis chapter 4, if you want to grab a Bible and turn there. We're going to be there in just a minute, in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. And as a way of thinking about where we're headed, I just want to ask a couple questions. And the first one is this. Have you ever been in a place where you tire of people doing people wrong? You just get tired of people doing people wrong. My answer to that would be, yeah. Yeah, I have. Me too, if you think that way once in a while. Or maybe you've looked into the eyes of somebody that's just an incredible person, and they have so much gift, so much talent, so amazing, and you look and see the glimmer that was in their eyes start to dim, and you recognize that the reason that's happening is because somebody isn't valuing them the way they ought to be valued, and it's starting to take a ding on them. Or maybe you've been in that place where where you turn on the television, maybe even this last week, and as you turned it on, and it was Tuesday morning, or maybe you caught news on, on Monday night, and you get the news about Michigan State, and that pit in your stomach begins to form, and you feel just sick about what happens in our world. And you begin to wonder, like so many, because we all want something to be done, and we want this sort of of violence toward each other to just stop. Could it just stop? And we want something done, but we don't know quite what to do. And so people, some, try to form some kind of simplistic solution to a very complex problem. Maybe we need to do this or that. Let's just do something. And I have some ideas, but I too, I wonder, what is the way forward on this? And maybe you've been in that place all by yourself where you've sat down in silence and just thought about the beauty and the wonder and the amazing that is us as people. And then the hurtful and the hateful and the evil that is also us. And wonder, is there a way? Is there a way forward when I recognize the power of Jesus Christ that transformed my life, the power of Jesus Christ, that maybe as you thought about this by yourself, that has so transformed you, that that hope and joy and peace that comes in relationship with Jesus, how do we get this, this good news message, into the hearts and the minds of people for a transformation that happens on planet Earth? Because the world... Though it goes amazingly beautiful in so many circles, it doesn't always go well in others. That's the story we're in today because we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture that actually it's not very pretty. And in reality, it's ugly. 
We're only four chapters into the human story, and it has already turned really south. And last week we, we read it. Jeremy gave us kind of a launch pad, if you will, into this thing, and, and started in a place where he backed up and paralleled chapter four with some other parts of the scripture. And today we're going to stand on that platform or on that diving board. We're going head first into chapter four. And in this chapter, We'll meet a guy named Cain and another guy named Abel. And we will see two brothers in a place where dust starts to fly. Because Cain's anger burned enough that he premeditated a murder of his own brother. And when the dust finally settles, what we have after this attack is Cain standing and Abel's blood spilled into the ground, his lifeless body before him. And then the question, Cain, where's your brother? A question from God to Cain. Cain, where is your brother? And his answer is ridiculous, but his answer is, I don't know. Like, really? That's your answer? You don't know? You know. You know. I mean, it's like a kid caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Who took the cookie? I don't know. Chocolate all over your face. You can come up with as many excuses as you want. The dog, the dog ate it and licked me on the face. That's how it got there. Don't like that excuse, Mom? I got a dozen more I could give you. Let's try a different one. I don't know where he's at. Like, really, Cain? You don't know? Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, look at me. I'm a lot here. I've got a lot to take care of by myself. It's enough that i got to deal with me, let alone be responsible for him. Really, God? Isn't this a you-do-you-and-I'll-do-me kind of world? You stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane. I'm not responsible, am I, for my brother? Like, whatever, God. Let's read the story together and take a look at it as it's written for us, knowing this. That when we read the Bible, it was given to us for this reason. That as we read it, it reads us. As we enter the story, we actually enter in in a way that God is trying to share something with us. If it's in there, it's in there on purpose and with a purpose. For a purpose of us learning and growing this morning, let's enter in. The book of Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 15. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face downcast. I want to pause there. There could have been a very different response to that. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. It could have been a moment for Cain to reflect. What is it that's different about my offering than Abel's offering? What difference is there between my posture and Abel's posture? What difference is there in my attitude and Abel's attitude? But no, 
He has none of that. He just gets angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What, you, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. It's quite a story. And as I said, it is a story that so early on, it just turns bad. And I don't doubt that every single one of us here would answer this question in the affirmative, ever have a bad day? Yeah, like me, me too. And a bad day, what's it do to you? It can do a lot of things to you. It can stir a bunch of emotions and it could stir sadness in you or it could stir within you a sense of loneliness. It, it could stir a sense of being misunderstood inside of you. It could, it could send you to a place where you have that pit in your stomach that, that takes you into the evening, maybe causes you to be a bit restless at night and not sleep well. It could put you in a place where you need to find somebody that you can identify with, have a conversation with. I need to talk. And we begin to talk so that I can begin to get some of this feeling outside of me. Or maybe it's so bad that it sends you to a place like, I don't want to talk to Anybody right now, uh-uh. I want to be all by myself and because if you're around me right now, you just better keep your head low because I'm not good right now. I'm not good. Had a bad day. Here's my question. What, what caused the bad day? When you have a bad day, what causes the bad day? Whose fault is it? Is it them? Or is it you? Which one? Them? Or you, because often when we get together with people and talk about our bad day, it's usually them, them, them. And there's a bunch of ways to deal with them, them, them. A whole bunch of options for us. We can look up self-help stuff that'll tell you it's five steps to dealing with the turkeys. Or it's ten things that you can do that'll keep you from owning their stuff, but only, only owning your stuff. Or it's six habits to form to keep circumstances from dragging you down. And as good as all that stuff is, 
I wonder about it. I wonder, does that answer the question? Is it them or is it you? Denzel Washington in 2019, he tweeted this. I think it's a great tweet. If you had $86,400 and someone stole $60 from you, would you throw away 86340 for revenge or move on and live? Each of us have 86,400 seconds every day. Don't let someone's negative 60 seconds ruin the remaining 86,400. Life is bigger than that, and so are you. Love it. I love that quote. I love the idea behind it. And here's the reality for me. It's five things that I could do to keep the turkeys from getting me down. Could do. Or it's ten steps I could take in order to help me own my stuff and not own somebody's stuff. I could take those ten steps. Or it's six habits that I could form to make sure that others don't drag me down. Could take. So it's could, 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 can, might, maybe on all of those. And even Denzel's quote, as great as it is, there's still a reality in here that 60 seconds, it wasn't nothing. Even his math on that thing would tell you it's something that it leaves you with 86,340, which means it is something, which means this, how we deal with that we deal with what comes our direction matters, but it doesn't say that it doesn't do something. So when, it, when we think about whose fault is it, is it them or is it us? Yes. Them and us. I am impacted and I can choose how to deal with what is coming my direction. And then there are just those days when at the end of the day, it's not really them. It's just been me. It's just been me. It's like the old spiritual says. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why do I do this? And bring it down on myself. Take my heart. Lord, I need help here. Take my heart. Come Holy Spirit. Take my heart, Jesus, capture me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Take my heart, O Lord, and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. So to bring this stuff closer to home, here's a question for us. How do we deal with this stuff that comes our direction? And what do we do with it when it comes our direction and where does all this stuff find its home? Because we live in a world that often will say it's a you do you and I'll do me sort of world. We live in a world that would say you just stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane and we're going to be okay. Just don't cross over the center line on this thing. Here's what I think is the reality though. I think the reality is this is there's no center line really in this thing called life. We're in this there's no lanes. We're in this thing for good or ill together. And actually, it's good and ill. And it's why when we hear the news of what's happening in Lansing, we 
feel it over here on the west side of the state. We feel it. It's why when we're in our homes, it's why when we choose to actually say something that we know, we know if this leaves my mouth and I say that to my wife, or it leaves my mouth and I say it to my husband, if this leaves my mouth with the attitude I have right now and the way I'm feeling right now, and I say that to my child, it is going to hurt unnecessarily. It's going to do some damage. It's mean-spirited, and I should not do it. But when we let that fly, what does it do? It does exactly what we just said. It does damage. It's mean-spirited. It hurts. Not just them. Not just them, but the entire house. Because you cannot hurt somebody in your house without bringing the whole thing down another level. When you're in the workplace, you have an opportunity to share something that you know would be for the collective good, the collective good of the group. And you withhold it because you think to yourself, if I withhold this information, it'll actually be to my advantage. won't be for the advantage of the whole organization, but it'll be to my advantage if I withhold this, I will be in a position maybe for advancement or whatever it might be. I'm going to choose to withhold it. When you do that, you choose selfishness. And when you choose selfishness against the greater good, what happens? The greater good comes down. I don't think it's actually good for you either. It's not good for us as well. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I really my brother's keeper? I would just ask this. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Is there any other lane to actually get on that's not that lane? And the answer would probably be, sure, you can. But is there any other good way? And when we choose not to do it, what's the cost? And that brings us right back to Cain. What was the cost for Cain? We know what it cost Adam. We know what it cost Eve to see a child murdered by one of your own children. We don't have to leap very hard to tap into the misery that that would be. We know what it cost Abel his entire life laying there with blood spilling in the ground. But what did it cost Cain? What was the cost to him? What was the punishment? Well, here's the punishment in verse 2 that God actually gave to him. He said, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. We're going to get to the punishment But here's the setup on it. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And so what was it that Cain did? If you if you can back up one there. Cain worked the soil, meaning this. He's one that dug into the dirt. He planted the seed. He's the one that harvested the crop. He was a farmer. And a farmer stays in place. A farmer... He works the land. He wakes up in the morning, goes out and works the land. Goes to bed after he's worked that land and goes back to the same land. Abel kept the flocks. So Abel was a shepherd. He's watching over the flocks. He would take them in the green pastures until they were kind of mowed up by the sheep. And then you would take them on 
wander to another pasture. And they would feed there until they were thirsty. And then you would take them beside the cool waters. And he wandered from place to place to place. Cain stayed in place. Abel wandered. And now the punishment right here. You, Cain, will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Somebody's got to take care of your brother's sheep. Where's your brother? I don't know. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. There is no such thing as you do you and Abel does Abel. We're in this thing together. Now, whether he literally kept his brother's sheep, I think it's probable to think that. Whether he literally did or this was what God was inviting him into, there's a powerful move here that God's doing. This is your punishment. You will be a restless wanderer on earth, meaning this, what your brother did, you're going to do. It's time for you to see this world through the eyes of your brothers. It's time for you to step into your brother's shoes. And as your brother walked on this earth, now it's your turn to walk on this earth to gain perspective. Isn't that where we often gain perspective in this world? Not just when I, in my limited perspective of this world, see the world only through my filter, but when I begin to listen to people that aren't like me, that don't think like me, that have experiences that I don't have, that have gone through things I haven't gone through, and I begin to see from a different perspective the world that was around me. This is your punishment, Cain, that you now are going to be invited to see the world through a different lens. And we might go, time out, man, that, what? That's his punishment? That's it? Like in this world, you don't get a eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Like you killed your brother, I'm going to take you out sort of thing. Or at least, at least some serious misery of pounding on rocks for the rest of your life. But to send him out now where you're living. It's not going to be from the soil that you are so accustomed to. Digging the soil, that's not going to produce for you anymore. You now are going to have to make your living tending sheep, as did your brother. This is the invitation for him. And I would say this is a move. It is a move, one that we can gain a perspective of how God interacts with us. Again, every story is in the Bible on a purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose that we might learn and we might grow. And then this story, to really think about God's invitation to you and to me to say, how do you deal with me? How do you parent me if this is how you parent even Cain? And the invitation is, I want you to gain perspective I want this thing to be restorative for you. I want this moment to be redemptive for you. I want you to step in and identify even as painful as it would be to identify with the one that you put his body to the ground. And I want you to see this world differently. That you might view it even as I view it. This was God's invitation to him. And his response, almost so predictable, but his response is this right here. Next one, please. 
said, my punishment is more than I can bear. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. This is too much, God. This is too much for me. This is too much. And then he goes off to what may have been reality for him. I don't know if I'm going to be safe out there. Shepherds often weren't. I don't know if I'm going to be safe out there. And if somebody finds me, they may actually take me out. And God's response to him, again, such a good parenting move, an invitation to him was to say, no, that's not going to happen to you. That is not going to be the reality for you. I have a plan for you, and my plan is a redemptive plan. I want something more for you. I want you to come to grips with the fact that you it's not just you on this planet. It's not just your lane that you're supposed to stay in. It is your responsibility to look at others as well, and I will protect you. That will not be done. There will be space for you to experience what I'm inviting you into, and I'll put my mark on you so that you will be safe. I, I was curious, like, what is that mark? What is that? We don't actually know what the mark is, but we do know if we were to chase all the way back to some early, early understanding of humankind and how we interacted with one another and lived among one another, living in tribes that if you were to leave one tribe and go out to another tribe, or to wander from that tribe into other tribal territory, they would often put a mark on you, either pierce your ear or some kind of mark that was in your body so that you would be identified with the tribe that you came from as a way of saying that if you mess with this person, you mess with the entire tribe that belongs in that territory. We see that same sort of thing still today. We can see it in the Scripture in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul, he was in a place where he was under trial and at one point he pulled out his citizenship card. I'm a Roman citizen. They're like, whoa, now we have to deal with this differently because he belongs to the Romans. He's part of Roman citizenship and therefore we need to treat him differently. What what did we do up here this morning? Here's Jeremy and Laurie with these beautiful little children. They're taking water. And this water, the language around it, it is a sign, a visible sign of an invisible mark, an invisible seal. We call it baptism. And there's this water that we see and we know water cleanses. We know water refreshes. We know that water renews. We also know water doesn't save you. God does in the person of Christ. And this invisible seal or mark that is on us is represented by a visible sign that one day these children will have opportunity to profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, the culmination of God's move toward this child. This child belongs to me. This child is one in whom I'm going to give my love and myself to. They're part of the covenant family. And together we stand with God in the raising of those children so that this visible sign of an invisible move of God will result 
and the mark of the Holy Spirit on their lives. You've been marked. The Scripture says this in, in the New Testament, that you're not just any people. You're God's people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of God's own choosing. Meaning, out of this grand orphanage called planet Earth, He handpicked you and said, I put the mark of my spirit upon you and within you for your living. What do we do with that? I think we think about it this way. Ever have a bad day? Yeah, me too. Ever have that moment where you looked in somebody's eyes and you're looking at them and saying, they're having a bad go. There used to be a sparkle there. It's not there anymore. And it makes you sick. Yeah. I hate that when I see that. And long for that not to be in other people. But I know we're connected. I know we belong to each other as well. And we're this thing together. Ever have that moment where you think, man, what kind of world are we living in? What is this that's going on in this world anyway? Because I look and... In the news on Monday, late in the evening hours, and early morning Tuesday, on the 13th, and then the 14th, we're hearing about Michigan State. But back on the 8th of February, it's like we live between two colleges in this world because there's a college campus where there's a shooting on the 13th and that college campus in Kentucky in Asbury, where there's a revival that's being filmed and is breaking out. They had a worship service. And on the 8th, it started with just a normal college worship service. And suddenly this thing went from just an hour or so that it was intended to go to an all-night thing. And it's still going on now. There are people from all over the United States and world that are coming into that region of Kentucky to experience this revival. They planned it for its third week. They got a schedule out for the third week of this thing. Where did that begin? What happened here? Am I my brother's keeper? Where is he? What are you doing about it? Here's how this one started. It was one young man. The revival started like this. Just one young man. The service was... Going on, and he walked forward and grabbed a microphone. And he recognized, what I do impacts you. How I live, it's not just about me, it's about you too. I know that to be true. Especially in the role, Jeremy, Lori, you and I, we hold how we go. It matters. It really does. I feel the weight of that once in a while, and then I feel the joy of the privilege of being a part of God's community in this way. I also know how you go matters to the people around you. And I believe this. It actually matters to people that we don't even know. Because as I go, we go. As you go, we go. Together, we're in this together for good and ill. And he stepped up to the microphone. This young man had a deep sense of this and thought about this I'm prone to wander, 
Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave. The God I love, oh, take this heart. Oh, take and seal it. I don't know what kind of courage it took him to get up to the front and grab a microphone, but he did it. And what kind of move of God's Spirit caused him to do this? But he grabbed the microphone and he just began to share out of a place of grief. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I've lived. I'm sorry for what I've done. And he began to ask for forgiveness of people in the room and of God. And it led to one person after another. That worship service is still going on around the clock. Coming forward and confessing and sharing and finding this beautiful grace. Amazing grace in Jesus. Where people were doing this dance and the room was filled with people that were seeing the world through a different set of eyes. Still is. Beginning to grab a hold of something beautiful and ugly and powerful and amazing all at once. That was God's invitation to Cain. There's a way. You don't have to do it, but there's a way. Come. See what you have done. Gain a new perspective and then go live as if you really do belong to one another. I was thinking about this earlier this week and I was just a little boy and I was over at what used to be D&W on the corner of 20th and Baldwin with my mom and we went through that checkout lane where the stores sin against us who are parents with young children because they put the candy right there and make it really hard for us. Right? And so it's a great marketing tool, not great for us parents, but so I was walking through, not great for my mom, because we were walking through this aisle, but I grew up with a mother whose yes was yes and no was no, and you didn't keep asking because it was going to change your mind. It never did. She said no, that was just the answer. And so I asked, Mom, can I have this candy bar? And it was a little chunky candy bar. That was the name of it, kind of a thick square candy bar. Mom, can I have this? And the answer was no. And I wasn't going to play around because that, that's the answer. You know, you put it back. Or do this. You sneak it into the bag when she's not looking, which I did. I have no idea what I was thinking because I don't unload groceries. My mom did, right? And so, anyway, we got home and she said, Greg? Probably she said Gregory Allen, probably. But I, Gregory Allen? What is this? I'm like... I don't know. I don't know. What? I got a dozen excuses, Mom. You know, like, which one do you want here, right? I don't know. I did the same thing Cain did. I have no idea. And she's looking at the... I can still remember this. I was a little kid. Looking at the receipt. Nope, it's not on there. She did not pay for it. And then this. There's a bunch of options for my mother on this one, right? There is a spanking. There is time out. There is all sorts of things. Eat it in front of me and watch her lick her I mean, there's uh, so many options. So many options. But my mom did this. Brilliant move. We took a walk. We We just lived right over here on 22nd Avenue. We took a walk. And I don't remember much being said, but... We're going back to DNW, the two of us. We showed up to DNW, and then she went and found the manager, and I'm standing there with this candy bar in my hand, dying a thousand deaths. And then the manager came up, and I can still feel it. Like even now, I feel like, Ugh. 
And I know forgiveness. I'm still working on that, right? But so just I'm, I was feeling it, and I looked at the manager and said something like, I stole this, and I'm sorry. I know I was crying because I can remember that so clear. Like, I am so sorry. And I remember what he said. I am grateful to this day that what he didn't say was, it's okay, it's all right. You know, he's, I know he didn't say that. I remember him saying something and probably, no, my mother said exactly what my mother told him he would say. <laughs> I have no idea. But there I was, part of something, right? I wasn't alone in this. My mom, so good, such good parenting, such good parenting, that your taking this impacts more than just you. We didn't get away with anything here. We caused this system to just not be great. I know she didn't share all that with me, but I caught the message, and especially here later in life at 58, still thinking back on that moment, going, way to go, Mom. I never got spanked. I didn't get sent to my room. I got invited in to learn. This is our God. This is who He is. It's not punitive. I'm going to put you on the rocks here and you've got to go pound. I'm going, to, I'm going to inflict this misery. No. Come, see, learn. We belong to one another. Father, for the gift of even this horrible story of a Cain, of an Abel, but of you when we are prone to wander, of you when we leave you and don't heed the warning. No, don't do this. Even when we've done it, you invite us in to see, see through a different set of eyes. We would that we would have an ocular transplant right here in this plant place to be able to see only through your eyes in this world. And so come do the hard work that needs to be done to make us like yourself more and more into the image of Jesus, we pray. Amen.